0: Well, once again, I'd like to welcome you to part two of this series we're calling Jesus Is. The main idea behind this series is we're taking a long look at what I believe is life's most important question. And when you hear that statement, life's most important question, there's probably a lot of things that come to mind. Uh, For some of us who live in Minnesota, you're thinking, I know what life's most important question is. It's this. uh, Will the Vikings ever win a Super Bowl in my lifetime? And yes, that's a question. And for many of us, it's an important one. But we're, as you might imagine, going much deeper than that. What I believe life's most important question is, is this one. Who is Jesus to you? You see, the way you answer that question affects everything. The answer to that question affects the way you view life, and it affects the way you view death. The way you answer that question affects the way you view yourself. It affects the way you view your children. It affects the way you view the people around you. The way you answer that question affects the way you view successes and the way you view adversity. In fact, it was said this way last week, who Jesus is to you is the most important thing about you. And at North Cross, there is a wide range of different people with different backgrounds, that listen to services or watch them online or in person. And so for some of you, this series is going to be one of those that if you've been a longtime Christian, affirms some things that you already knew about Jesus, but hopefully deepens your appreciation for who Jesus is and what he has done. And there's another group of people that I'm really excited that are a part of the North Cross family. They're people on the other end of the timescale that might be brand new to these things, might be at the very beginning of their faith journey, are, are kind of searching for God and are asking the question, who is Jesus for the very first time? I would like you to know that this study, this series, could very well be the most important study or series in your entire life because it answers life's most important question. This week, we're gonna get started with our content by having me point out something that I firmly believe is true for every single one of us. And in fact, I think... God is the one who put it in us, put this inside of us. And I recognize that for some of you, what I'm going to say burns deeper than for others. But, but here's what I believe is true for every single one of us, that we all desire to be fully known and fully loved. We all have the desire for there to be people in our lives that we don't need to hide anything from, that we can just be real with, that knows everything about us and yet still loves us. Fully known and yet still fully loved. And I want you to think for a moment how different that feeling is than what we tend to normally do in our culture and society. I mean, think about how much time and effort we spend trying to portray a certain identity that we have that will kind of earn people's acceptance. Um, It's the person, and I know none of you would be this person, that takes 50 selfies of the very same spot and then tries out about 30, I don't know that there's 30 filters, but let's just say, tries out 30 different filters all in an effort to post one picture on their Instagram account. So what should have taken about 10 seconds instead takes an hour. You see it in the reality that Many of us, our, our homes look a certain way 99.9% of the time, but then when guests come over, it's like someone else lived there or lives there. I mean, I can even see the kitchen counter a little bit. It's amazing. It's, it's the type of thinking where we see people who buy cars that they can't afford and live in neighborhoods that they can't afford because we are trying to earn acceptance. We're trying to live a certain way and image is so important to our culture. Image, some say, is everything. And and I want you to know that on the surface, there's, there's nothing wrong with getting the right Instagram picture and there's nothing wrong with cleaning the house. I highly recommend it. And there's nothing wrong with driving a certain car. But sometimes when we're feeling like the acceptance of the students in our school around us or the people at work or the people in our neighborhood is hinging on how I portray myself, even if it's a little bit of a false front? Isn't that exhausting? And don't we appreciate the people in our lives, those rare friendships where they see us in our oldest sweatpants and no makeup and our hair's not done and we haven't taken a shower in quarantine for a week and they've seen us at our best and they've seen us at our worst and it doesn't matter whether the house is the mess and it doesn't matter whether there's there's rust spots all over our car, they just still love us. We all desire to be fully known and yet still fully loved by the people who fully know us. And it's amazing when we have friends like that. It's amazing when we have family like that. It's so comfortable. It's so encouraging. And what I want you to know today is our first fill-in. Jesus is a friend like that. Jesus is the friend that you need. Now, throughout this series, there's gonna be a, a number of different sort of descriptions of Jesus we're gonna look at. Last week, it was that Jesus is our substitute. Today, we're gonna be looking at Jesus is our friend. And I just want to call out something that hit my heart a little bit as I prepped for this message and the series is that in some ways, calling God a friend seems a little odd. Like it doesn't seem to be big enough. It doesn't seem to be reverent enough. It doesn't seem to be powerful enough. And Be mindful, this isn't his only title. But in the idea that Jesus is our friend, we see something about God that is, well, that we should never, ever forget. You see, you know how most people view God and their relationship with God and to be loved by God? It goes like this. To be fully loved, well then, I need to be fully obedient. To be fully loved, well, I need to be perfect. You achieve love, and so then you receive love. With Jesus, And because of Jesus, that is entirely different. This is a false way to think about our relationship with God. And when we find ourselves falling into this trap, we need to stop ourselves right there and and recognize that is not how it works. But more than me just telling you that Jesus is your friend, I think it'd be better if I showed you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to turn to an event that happened near the end of Jesus' ministry and life on this earth. It's recorded for us in the biography of Jesus' life that Luke wrote, um, chapter 19. We're going to begin with verse 1. Here's what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, if you've been with North Cross for any amount of time, you probably can remember at times that we've talked about what it meant to be a tax collector in the first century. And I do want to review that just a little bit because it goes to the very heart of Zacchaeus' interaction with Jesus. So here's, in short, how taxes worked in the Roman Empire. The, the Romans would hire natives from across the empire to collect the taxes in the towns and the areas from which they were from. And one of the main reasons for that was quite simple, that if you were from a certain area, you knew where the money was. You knew better than someone who wasn't from the area who the wealthy people were. And so what you did was you collected the money, you sent a certain portion of it to the Roman government, and then as a tax collector, you got to keep whatever was left over. And in fact, most tax collectors had a Roman soldier or to assign to them to kind of be the muscle to help get the money out of the people. Now, just think about this. If you signed up to be a tax collector, you signed up to work for the evil empire and with the job of stealing or taking large amounts of money from your family and your friends. I don't know that I can think of a more horrible job signed up for in some ways by people who did not care about how horrible the job was. Now, the other thing about Zacchaeus that's pointed out here is that he was a chief tax collector in Jericho. So Zacchaeus was in charge of a bunch of tax collectors and Jericho was probably the wealthiest town or city in all of Israel. Some Bible scholars, they, est- um, they estimate, they, they consider that Zacchaeus probably was the most wealthy Jew in the entire New Testament as the chief tax collector from Jericho. He had all this wealth. He had all this stuff. And yet, the people around him hated him. He had very few, probably no, good relationships in his life. He was isolated by his own choosing, but he was all alone. We continue with verse three. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. Here's where we run into the part that most of us remember, maybe from Sunday school or from reading this section before about Zacchaeus, that he was a, a short guy. And I mean, I feel so bad for Zacchaeus 2,000 years later, and the thing that people still sing songs about is, you know, that Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. I mean, poor Zacchaeus. But what we also see him doing is climbing a tree. He wanted to see Jesus so badly that he did something that no self-respecting person, adult, especially male adult, would have done in the first century. Children climb trees, and especially in the first century, wealthy, rich tax collectors would never climb a tree. And yet, Zacchaeus does, why? It's not explicitly said beyond he wanted to see Jesus. Maybe he had heard about this Jesus. Well, he absolutely did. And he just wanted to see who he was. But I, I firmly believe it goes deeper than that. I think the reason why he wanted to see him so badly is because he had also heard that Jesus had hope with him. And it was something that Zacchaeus desperately needed because as rich and as wealthy and as much earthly stuff that Zacchaeus had, there was still something missing. He was longing for something. And I think as we consider Zacchaeus, this helps us to understand just a principle, a truth that is Always reality, it's this, that the things of this world always fall short. The things of this world always fall short. Now, I don't want to lose credibility with all of you. So I also want to say this, the things of this world can be a lot of fun. The things of this world can bring a lot of joy in the short term. I mean, think of you as Zacchaeus, that you had all the money you could ever dream of. It's fun to buy whatever you want to buy. It's fun to live wherever you want to live. It's fun to drive whatever you want to drive and do whatever you want to do. Let's just admit that. That would be fun. But here's why it falls short. Because the deeper needs that we have, the deeper desires of our heart, like to be fully known and fully loved, money, the things of this world, they never fully satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. Oh, people try. I'm guessing if you're anything like me, you've gone through certain seasons where maybe it was just by accident even that you tried. You tried to find fulfillment. You tried to find like peace. You tried to find you're happy through the things of this world. But however long that lasts, you eventually come to the same place that Zacchaeus was, that the things of this world always fall short because we all desire to be fully known and fully loved. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot under the sycamore fig tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, get down here. <laughs> Come down immediately. And I'm thinking that the people in the crowd as they hear Jesus calls Zacchaeus to get down they're like all right it's about time someone tells Zacchaeus what he's up to is no good it's about time for this this rabbi Jesus to sort of tell Zacchaeus what a traitor he is and how wrong he's been it's time for someone to give him what he deserves Well, here's what Jesus said. Zacchaeus, come down immediately because I want to come to your house. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly to his home. So he came down and what happened? Jesus didn't yell at him. Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Yep. Did Jesus know anything about him? Yep. He knew his name because he called him by his name. He knew his occupation. He knew his past. Jesus knew his sin. He knew how messed up he was. Jesus even knew the hole in his heart. You see, Zacchaeus was fully known by Jesus. And yet Jesus still wanted and desired to go to his house. Verse seven, all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They didn't get it. They didn't understand how if Jesus fully knew Zacchaeus, how he would be willing, especially as a Jewish rabbi, how would he be willing to go to the house of a sinner? And yet this is a type of thing Jesus did throughout his ministry over and over and over again. In fact, in more than one place, people called Jesus a friend of sinners. That he was willing to go to the house of someone who was deep in their sin and had a messed up life. Now, I just want you to know, there is a lot that happened between verse seven and verse eight, and none of it's recorded for us by Luke. But here's what we know in part that, well, he went to Zacchaeus' house that day. And he spent the day there. And I'm guessing Zacchaeus probably showed off his, uh, his Jericho mansion to Jesus, who it says sometimes didn't even have a place to lay his head. And they probably had dinner together and they talked and Jesus taught and Zacchaeus listened. And then at the end of the day, Here's what we hear happened. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything and um, everyone's like, okay, yeah, you did, Zacchaeus. You have a lot. I will pay back four times the amount, verse nine. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What we know is that Zacchaeus had a past. What we know is that much of Zacchaeus' life was all about him. And yet Jesus spends a day with him. And at the end of it, Zacchaeus is is willing to, to give back that which he took. And even more important than that, did you notice what Jesus called Zacchaeus? He calls him a son of Abraham. This is a really important phrase as it identifies how Jesus felt about Zacchaeus. Yes, he was a son of Abraham in the sense that he was Jewish by blood, but this is a deeper meaning here that he was a spiritual son of Abraham. Jesus is declaring that Zacchaeus is a part of God's family, that there's hope for Zacchaeus, that God loves him leads us to our third fill-in. Jesus is a friend by whom you are fully known and fully loved. This was true for Zacchaeus, and I want you to know it's true for you. You can't hide anything from Jesus. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows what you did that no one else knows. He knows what you thought, and yet he still loves you. Jesus is a friend who by whom you are fully known and fully loved. Now, let me talk about what it means to be fully loved by Jesus. This is really important, okay? So I've heard sometimes Christians and maybe even a pastor or two say something like this about Jesus, that Jesus was, you know, he was even willing to hang out with tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners, and I know what they're trying to say, but I don't like the word hangout. Because what it sounds like to me is like, put it into our day and age, it's like the, the guy who has friends that like to go drinking on the weekend, get real drunk, and then go to a strip club. And you decide, oh, I like those guys. I'm gonna go hang out with them. And you do what they do. That is not at all what Jesus was. Jesus was not a weekend buddy of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was a friend, a true friend. And what that means in part is that as a true friend, Jesus never dumbed down the truth. He was willing to meet people where they were at. He was willing to go to the house of a tax collector. But his intention was never to allow them to stay there. And I have to firmly believe in that the time between verse 7 and 8, while Jesus was at the home of Zacchaeus, they not only had a tour of the home, but they had a really hard conversation about what Zacchaeus was up to and how he was putting his greed for the things of this life before things that are more important. Because that's what a true friend does. A true friend like Jesus, never dumbs down the truth. You know why? Because a friend cares too much. A friend loves too much. And if I I could for a moment really speak to your hearts online in the room as we apply this a little bit, I think that as I look around, as I think of my own heart and life, that this is where friendships lack the most in our time and in our culture. And I'm going to be careful with this. We need to be careful with the words that we use and we can't harp on the same thing all of the time. And yes, love needs to exude, but sometimes in friendships, we're too scared and we need to be bold. You know, when you see a friend or a family member making a decision that you know is wrong, when you see someone living a lifestyle that you know isn't correct, when you see people doing things that you love that are leading them in a wrong direction, we're sometimes too quiet because we don't want to rock the boat We don't want to bring stress into a relationship. Well, let me ask this. If you saw a friend walking out into a road and you saw a semi coming their direction and they didn't see it, how much love would it show to not say anything, right? See, being a true friend means that sometimes we need to have the hard conversation that sometimes in love we need to point out truth. Exactly like Jesus did, our true friend. So, Jesus never dumbed down the truth. And here's the other part Jesus never turned down the grace. The sinless Son of God, the powerful Creator, the I am, goes to the home. Of a tax collector that everyone hated, that no one else would have gone there. But who did? The sinless Son of God. That's why people loved him, because he had time for those who were at their worst. He had time for those who were going through difficulty. He had time for those people that no one else did. You know what? He has time for you. No matter where you're at or what you're going through. He has time for me. He's not embarrassed of me. He's not embarrassed of you. He is a true friend who loves you enough not to dumb down the truth and loves you enough never to turn down the grace. And maybe as we bring all of this together, the best place for you to see this is the night before Jesus died. He's in that upper room in Jerusalem with his disciples and he's going to be dying on a cross in the next 12 hours or so. And listen to these words that Jesus shares with his disciples. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. I think for many of us, as we think about God, we consider ourselves to be at times just a servant serving a a holy, perfect God, and that is. That is true, he is holy and he is perfect and in a way we do need to serve him because he is our creator but there's a whole nother aspect to this. He also along with that calls us friends and the thing is the way he showed this the most is also the way he made it happen. When he laid down his life, not only did it show us how he felt about us, but it is the sole reason why we are his friends. Because when he died, his Victory became our victory. His payment became our payment. And he removed that stumbling block, that that sin between us and the father. And so we can have a relationship with him that sometimes is called a father-son relationship. Today, it is that he would even call us friends. So what's our application for today? Today. How about this? How about we change entirely the way we think about our relationship with God in our day-to-day, and we make, last fill in, make our entire life a response to be fully known and fully loved, to make your life a response to being fully known and fully loved, to live each day, as weird as it sounds, as a friend of God, not that he's our buddy and he doesn't care what we do, but that he loved us enough to make us his friends and friends do strange things. A week ago or so, uh, Carrie was uh, at Target and um, she was walking through and she saw two ladies sitting Basically, in the display in the house department, the Magnolia department, or whatever, and they were drinking coffee together, sitting um, there. And Carrie struck up a conversation with them. She actually uh, took a picture of them. She uh, she talked with them a little bit, and actually, uh, they do this every week. They get coffee. And they sit in the display at Target and talk and drink coffee together. You know why they do this? Because they used to do it at the Starbucks in Target, but all the chairs were taken away and they had no place to talk and to chat. And so the management at Target's like, hey, why don't you just use, uh, you know, Chip and Joanne Gaines stuff over here, you know? Because when you're a friend, you want to be with someone. When you're a friend, you want to spend time with them. Your greatest friend is Jesus. And what would it look like for prayer that's talking to him, for Bible study that's listening to him, for living out our faith, what would it feel like? What would it look like if it wasn't just a box to check? But you know what today is? Today is a day I get to spend with my friend. Today is the day that I get to spend the day with a friend who gave me everything. And what would it look like for all of our lives to be that because Jesus is our friend. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time to remember anew, uh, an event that happened in your son's life and that through it, we have a better understanding of the depths of your love that you would even go to have dinner with a chief tax collector in Jericho, and then a couple weeks later, you would die for that chief tax collector and for me and for all of us. Lord, you said that the way a friend is seen is someone who would be willing to lay down his life. We thank you that you did that for us to make us your friend